Live, live and underway here on ESPN alongside longtime U.S. international and a veteran of both Major League Soccer and Liga Amekis, Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebi Salazar for episode 317. Herc, how are you doing out there on the West Coast? I am doing beautifully, beautifully good weather. It's getting a little cold out here, but we're not going to complain because you probably do deal with some real cold, and I'm out here complaining because it's 60. Our friends in, in Bristol in Connecticut at ESPN headquarters, they had a lot of snow. Down here in D.C., not so bad, so I'm not complaining. More rain than anything else. Coming up on this edition of Football America, special guest Casey Keller is actually just minutes away from joining us, as always, with Casey. We are going to talk about American goalies. We're also going to dive in on this discussion about making the actual size of goals bigger. I wonder if you as a forward have some, some thoughts on that. Hmm. Plus, we'll sadly uh, remember the legacy of Franz Beckenbauer, who passed away uh, at the age of 78. Casey, of course, uh, played in the Bundesliga, so he'll have a good perspective on that. And the Liga Mekki season, Herc, look out, starts on Friday. Can you believe it? Uh, just like that, Klausuda, ready wow. to kick off. But we'll start... This edition of the show with da, 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 the U.S. men's national team January camp roster, which of course dropped late last week. There are no European-based players. This is, as you know, not a FIFA date. All 25 players listed then are from Major League Soccer. 17 of them are uncapped. 13 are Olympic eligible. The most experienced player on the roster, Miles Robinson, with 27 caps. It is worth noting U.S. staff Wanted to call in both Griffin Yao, who plays in Belgium, and Rokas Bukstas, who plays in Croatia, but both requests were denied by the respective clubs. Here's U.S. manager Greg Berhalter with more on his January roster. Yeah, I think there, there has been a change. You know, I'm trying to pinpoint exactly what it is um, compared to the first January camp in, in 2019 to, you know, to now being 2024. Um, but, you know, one thing I'll say is we're grateful for the support of Major League Soccer. Um, this would never happen without them. Um, we're great for the support of the clubs um, who are releasing their players. And, you know, it really is an opportunity, um, you know, for, you know, young players, um, you know, MLS-based players to make their mark on this program. And it's always been like that. So that hasn't changed. You know, Michael's mentioned that nine of the players in the 2002 World Cup made their first appearance in a January camp. So, you know, that's always been the case. Um, and now, you know, I would say we're skewing slightly younger. Uh, and it's still the same opportunity, though. And, you know, again, I talked to the players about, you know, setting objectives for, their se for themselves coming into this camp. What do they want to achieve here? Um, because, you know, I, I don't want them just happy to be involved in this January camp. I want them really striving for goals. Do they want to make their debut in this camp? Do they want to push to be on Nations League roster, Copa America roster, Olympic roster? There's a lot of different opportunities for them in this camp, and I really want them focused on taking advantage of it. All right, for more on the U.S. national team in this January camp, thrilled to welcome into the show Casey Keller. Herc, it's always great to have Casey with us, especially when he's playing through pain. Casey, uh, for those on the podcast that can't see, looks like you got you got roughed up a little bit. What happened? You okay? Uh, I, I'm at my house in Idaho and, and went snowboarding today, and um, decided to, to to slide down part of the mountain on my face um and uh, uh opening day for me it's been a it's been a rough winter for the for the west uh, the snow hasn't quite come there's a big storm coming now so we thought we'd have some some time to come out 
And I caught something today in the thin conditions in uh, my face paint price. Mm. So like a good it. goalkeeper's always catching something. Yes. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> sometimes you make a save with your face. Sometimes you slide down the same. a mountain with Save your is face. the same. <laughs> same. Same, but different. Yep. Who knew we'd get so much uh, weather talk here on, on Football Americas? Casey, I, I thought maybe you got in a fight with somebody when they suggested, yep. even suggested, that you at one point mm. in your illustrious career had been called into a January <laughs> camp. I, I know that, that you were never called into January camp. I wonder, back in your day, Casey, what did you make of January camp? What do you make of it now? Uh, and, and what value does it have in this, which we will acknowledge, uh, is an Olympic year as well? Yeah, look, I understood it a little bit more back in the day when MLS had a almost like a four-month break. And there, was, and there was a lot more players on the national team um, playing uh, in MLS. And so, and so, yeah, so the, I, I understood that a little bit. I, I, I think now, and I think really over the last 10 years, it, it's almost been uh, almost a disservice to actually call it a national team camp because it's really not the national team. I mean, it's, a, it's an opportunity for some players to get in front of the national team coach. It's just like a training camp for younger fringe players who might someday come into the national team cap. Uh, so I don't really take a lot of merit into it. I don't, I, I think it's, I, I know multiple coaches at different times have tried to get rid of the national team camp. Uh, but there's, I know there is some TV contract stipulations where they need to have a couple games to call it a national team game. So, but to me, it's not a it's not a national team camp. It's just a, a squad get together before an MLS season. Case, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. You're 100 percent correct. It's a disservice to the U.S. men's national team. It cheapens what wearing the crest is about. Now, I understand in theory what Greg Berhalter or whoever the coach may be wants to get out of it. It's a situation where you can evaluate new talent. There are situations, Casey, and you know this. It's one thing to see a player uh, on TV or go to the game and see him in his club situation in a game with his friends uh, where he's comfortable. It's another thing to bring him in, uh, see the training habits, see how he interacts with teammates, see what he's about, you know, pull back the curtain. That's something that's of value to a coach. But if we're thinking about this realistically, there's a reason that this camp has trended so young. These fringe players, especially with the trend nowadays with the U.S. men's national team, where last call up, if I'm not mistaken, there was one major league soccer player where the majority of players are in Europe. You can't call this an actual U.S. men's national team camp. Now, that doesn't mean you can't find talent. Uh, we heard uh, Greg Berhalter mentioning that the you know, communications official, Michael Cameron, mentioned that in 2002, nine players debuted in that January camp. That's a different time. That's a, a lot different than what we have going on today in this program. You can find Jimmy Conrad's, Eddie Johnson's, Landon Donovan's, etc. back then. Today, it may be a bit more difficult. Doesn't mean it can't happen. There are a few names on this list that maybe are interesting to Greg Berhalter and could do something down the road, which case leads me to my question. Who on this list interests you? Is there anybody that kind of catches your eye? Not yet. And I, and I think that's the big, the big issue. I mean, it's a lot of young players who've been brought in. I mean, look, I think we're looking at something. Let's just take a Kate Cowell, for example. I mean, he's kind of been on the, you know, been on the radar for a little bit but needs to make that next jump up in his ability to see if he's going to be a legit national team player. Now to get four or five caps over a three, four year period, all January camp games, 
to me, it doesn't make sense. You know, I mean, so, okay, uh, to your point, Herc, I, I agree 100%. Now, look, I get bringing guys in, particularly if they're available, to have a look at, to see what their personalities are, to see if they might mesh at a later date. But that's the problem I have. Calling this a, a U.S. men's national team camp, it's a B team, it's a C team, it's an under-23 with a handful of players. You know, it, it's not the national team. And I think that's the that's the tricky part when you, you know, call it something that it isn't. Herc, who do you want to see? Uh, you know, I wanted to see Brian Gutierrez at Chicago Fire. This kid was just made a young DP out there in Chicago. I thought he was doing very good things. I was eager to see him. He's not on this roster. That could mean a bunch of different things. Uh, injury that's not disclosed, a future transfer, et cetera, et cetera. Whatever the case may be, Chicago didn't release him again, if that's the case. But I'm going to go with Diego Luna, and he's kind of of the same mode. Now, I'm going to agree with what Casey's saying. The reason I think it's interesting for a player like Diego Luna is because for Diego Luna... He didn't care what we think. Diego Luna doesn't care what they call it. This is an opportunity to catch the U.S. men's national team manager's eye. Now, Diego Luna is an interesting case. This is a do well at the USL level with the El Paso locomotive, earn a Major League Soccer contract. Go to Major League Soccer with Ralph Star Lake where he was struggling for playing time, where he really wasn't getting on the field, goes to U20 tournament, and after that, in the World Cup, everything changes. And he becomes a pivotal cog for RSL, earns his spot. And the most important thing here, Seb, in case is he's of a position, of a mold, of a certain body, body type and, and playing style that we're not seeing anymore. This traditional number 10, uh, this old school 10, if you will. And today, those 10s turn into dynamic wingers, playmaking wingers on the, on the outside. They're not the traditional in the center of the field, pull the strings. He's of that mold. So I'm interested to see how he does at the next level. But, but like Kay said, that, that's pretty much about it. We're, we're, we're trying to bet on the future here. And this really is looking with an eye on the future, eye on the Olympic squad. Yeah, definitely the Olympics, right? Definitely the Olympics. You got all these guys that are uh, Olympic age eligible. It'll be the U.S. against Slovenia January 20th in San Antonio. Let's talk about the senior team, Casey. And right now the guy who is number one for the senior team, that, of course, Matt Turner at Nottingham Forest. It has not been all, you know, sunshine and roses at Nottingham Forest for Matt Turner. There's been a, a recent dip of form. In fact, in the FA Cup game just recently, Nottingham Forest went with Odysseus Vlacadimas, the other goalie on the roster, it didn't go so well for him. Uh, he gave up a couple goals against third-tier Blackpool. So, Casey, what do we make of Matt Turner's situation right now at Nottingham Forest? And are we any closer to knowing the answer to the question whether Matt Turner is good enough to be a Premier League starting goalkeeper? Well, there's only one way to answer that question, and that's for Matt Turner to be a starting goalkeeper at Nottingham Forest and to prove everybody that he should be a starting goalkeeper keeper in the Premier League. I mean, it's 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 a tricky situation going over uh, with the experience level that Matt had, not getting a lot of playing time, obviously, at Arsenal, where there were some high-profile mistakes in a few cup games that he that he played there as well. So Nottingham Forest made the opportunity to, you know, they said, okay, let's let's bring him in and and let's see if he can be that guy that can help us stay in in the league and it, and it's been checkered to say the least and and that's tricky because you don't have a lot of opportunities at that level so what did the the former coach do he dropped him for a few games the other keeper came in didn't play well got his opportunity to come back in and still hasn't been able to let's just say put a string of performances together that 
stops this type of conversation. I mean, because how it works in goalkeeping, first of all, you have to get the opportunity. And then when you have that opportunity, there's, there's a certain categories that you have to, first and foremost, look like you're not a liability. That's number one. So the fans, the coaches, your teammates, they have a, a trust in you already because you look like the part. Then you have to limit the amount of mistakes that you make. Everyone knows, look, you're going to make mistakes. That's not a question. But are you making a mistake every six games, every eight games, every 10 games? And then in between those six, eight, 10 games, are you having performances that help your side get points when they probably shouldn't have? You're coming up with two, three big saves. Nil-nil, you come up with one big one-on-one -on -one save. Your team makes adjustments at halftime. You win one-nil. But they go back and they say, look, not only were you stable, you looked apart, you looked calming for the defense, for the fans, for the coaches, for your teammates, but you're also able to make the big save when it matters. And then you're able to just to continue to then build off of that in the next game and the game after that and the game after that. And then, oh, no, there's a mistake. Okay. But everyone says, yeah, but remember the last five, six games where he made a difference for us picking up points? And I think that's really what Matt needs to be able to do is to go in and put a string of games together where the fans say, this is our guy. The coaches say, this is our guy. And the teammates say, this is our guy. If not, you've got an owner that's not going to worry about pulling a trigger and bringing in a third goalkeeper this season to see if it can help him stay up. And, and I think that's part of part of the issue and nobody can do this other than Matt there, there, there's not some magic formula there's not something they can do except for Matt just has to go down and the only thing I would say and I say this to a lot of goalkeepers when they ask me different things about that first and foremost you can only play your game I feel at times when a goalkeeper who's trying to prove himself they try to do things that's somebody else's job now, you're going to concede goals. There's no problem with that. People will understand you conceding goals, particularly when you're a team at Nottingham Forest in the Premier League that knows you're going to be, you know, fighting for, for relegation. But when they can look at that and they can say, yes, he had no chance at any of these goals. He's, and, and by the way, we, we should have lost 4-0. Instead, we lost 1-0 if it hadn't have been for the, the great performance that our goalkeeper had. So it's all those little things. So go play your game. Now, if you have somebody that said, oh, I want you to, you know, play out of the back a particular way, and that's not one of your strengths, you have to be strong enough as a player to say in those circumstances, this isn't the time for me to play this way. We'll worry about my job is to keep the ball out of the back of the net. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, the modern goalkeeper is kind of ruining the game for every other goalkeeper because mm -hmm. they try to be that goalkeeper, even if they can't be. What are your thoughts, uh, Case, on, on a player, a goalkeeper like uh, Zach Steffen, who, who decides to come back to the Colorado Rapids? What do, what do you make of this? Well, it, I, never, I never judge anybody for whatever the decisions they make. What somebody else's decision is, 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 is their decision. Okay, look, I stayed in Europe 17 years, okay? But if, if somebody else, it's not right for them, if it's the right move for Zach to come home for whatever reason, then it's the right move. Um, but, but, yeah, I mean, I think we all saw the ability that Zach has and that there was a potential for, for him to maybe 
you know, be in Europe a lot longer and establish himself a lot more. I was always a little bit questioned going to Man City because I kind of knew he wasn't really going to Man City. You know, and the initial loan to Fortuna Dusseldorf looked really good. Uh, I know they were very happy with him in Germany and, and then the injury kind of stopped that. Uh, and then it was obviously very little playing time. I, I love the decision to go play in the championship and to, to go see if he could make something happen uh, at, at that stage because there was something I told one of our ESPN colleagues, one of our writers, uh, the other day that kind of came to mind when we were talking about a, a situation like this. And they said, I know the one thing that I think people forget is that, you know, I played 200 games in the championship before uh, I, I was really, you know, uh, a great starting point for my career to go into the other levels. Um, Brad Friedel went to Liverpool, didn't play, didn't really get his opportunity until he went to Blackburn in the championship and, and it just happened that Blackburn got promoted. And then he went on to have a great premier league career. Marcus Hanneman went to Fulham, didn't really get an opportunity to play, went to lower divisions, went to Reading, had one of the best seasons of all time in the championship and then had a great premier league career. So sometimes starting at a starting point, you know how hard it is to start at a finishing point. And to be able to say, yes, I'm going to go to Arsenal. I'm going to go to Man City. I'm going to go mm -hmm. beat out one of a, a very established goalkeeper playing very well for club and country. Or do you start at a point where you say, I'm going to gain my experience. I'm going to be able to prove myself. And then when I get to the next level, I'll have a base that I can build off of. And I, and I think it's been a little bit more difficult with the way that both Zach and Matt, you know, made that jump from MLS to the Premier League without maybe having enough experience to help ground that. Mm. Mm. Not just the jump to the Premier League either, right? Arsenal and Manchester City. To Zach Steffen's credit, he comes home with a couple Premier League uh, titles to his merit. So, uh, so something there for his, uh, for his resume for sure. Casey, something a little bit different here. And I'm, I've been waiting from the minute I saw these comments... <laughs> from Gigi Buffon to get your perspective, okay? Because Gigi Buffon is one of the all-time right. greats, and I know you, Casey Keller, have a lot of respect sure. for him. Uh, but let's, let's see what you think of this. Uh, this is what he had to say when asked about expanding the size of goals. Let's keep in mind, this is now, he's saying this after he's retired. So, quote, it's necessary to start <laughs> thinking about it. You can see the impact of a goalkeeper's height on long shots. 30 years ago, for every 50 shots, there were 10 goals. Today, three out of 50 is very low. Scoring from a distance against a two-meter-tall goalkeeper is much more challenging. Casey, one of our favorite segments on this show is Get Lost. Are you telling Gigi Buffon to get lost, or do you think this is a good idea? Uh, I'm kind of neither. Um, I, I think in the end, whatever it is, we all are going to have to deal with whatever decision is made, make them smaller, make them bigger. I think my only real worry about making goals bigger is then it just makes teams more defensive to try to guard that bigger goal. Uh, and I think that's what you saw when FIFA said, okay, let's go to golden goal instead of going extra time penalties. Then teams said, well, there was 
too much risk of conceding. There was more risk of conceding than there was of scoring a goal to win in golden goal. So we just defended, got to nil-nil and went to penalty. So it kind of defeated the purpose of what FIFA was trying to do. That's what I'm a little bit afraid what would happen if you made bigger goals. Um, that it would just, well, let's, I think, I think the only way you could compare this is kind of look at, I don't know if even there is a comparison. I mean, it is. It's one of those things, I guess, that you would just have to try it with different leagues and see if it was actually made sense or not. Um, so I have no I mean, I, I've heard this for years. They've talked about the idea of more goals, making making the goal a little bit bigger. You think, OK, let's count how many times the ball hits the post. And therefore, that would be that many more goals. Um, I don't know. Uh, truly, I, I'm not. I'm not saying get lost, but I. I, I don't really understand I, the the whole purpose of it. I, I'll, I'll say it for you. I'll say it for you, Case. This is a get lost for me. I mean, let's try figuring out the offsides for a second. Can, can we? Can we like settle on <laughs> yeah. offsides? Offsides is ridiculous right now around the world. Let's figure How about that handball? out. Handball. Yeah, figure and, that and, out. and that's exactly where I was going, Case. And then we can go to the handball because I, I no longer know what a handball is or isn't no. in modern football. So let's figure that out. The goals are fine. Listen, can you make the game better? Sure. But it has nothing to do with the dimensions of the field or the actual dimensions of the goal. There are different things that we can do to improve the game, speed up the game, and make it clear, more transparent, where everybody is on the same level and understands it. So we're not consistently here sitting about this was offside and we're arguing about it. Was it not? Was it? And we're not here. This is handball. This wasn't. There are bigger fish to fry. Yeah. Again, just worth noting, Buffon's making these suggestions yeah, after right. he no longer has to defend the what would be larger <laughs> goal. So uh, interesting timing there from, from Gigi Buffon. All right, on a much more serious note, Casey, before we let you go, I would like to get your perspective on the passing of Franz Beckenbauer. Uh, died at the age of 78. You, of course, played in the Bundesliga. He's such an important figure in German football. I'm just imagining at some point you might have uh, crossed paths with him or, or, or even just had a uh, an interesting moment with with one of the icons of world football. Yeah, we we crossed paths one time, and 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 I've been fortunate enough that uh, you know throughout my career that I've had some some pretty cool experiences. Uh, you know, being invited to state dinners at the White House, hanging out with rock stars and 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 movie stars and stuff like that. And so I don't get real starstruck too often. But I was playing for Gladbach, and I was injured, and and I was seeing the the Bayern Munich slash German national team doctor uh, Muller Wolfert in Munich and I'm in my room and Muller Wolfert pops his head into my room and he's like hey somebody wants to come in and say hi to you and I'm like yeah of course yeah no problem and Beckenbauer walks in and I absolutely was uh, couldn't believe what what was happening I mean I think because my understanding of something like that, it wasn't like Willow Wolford came to me and said, hey, someone wants to say hi, come with me into his room. It was like, next thing you know, Beckenbauer walks through the door and I was truly starstruck. And, you know, absolute legend, you know, what he did for NASL, obviously what he what he's done for German football. Um, just uh, again, you know, we, we lost Pele a year ago. And this is, you know, one more of those world icons that's no longer with us. Mm. Well said. Great story, Casey. Yeah, played for the uh, New York Cosmos and, of course, played in the 
Iconic game of the century for West Germany at Estadio Azteca back at the 1970 right. World Cup. Uh, West Germany against Italy. All right, there he is, Casey Keller. Casey, thanks so much for the time and the perspective. And uh, heal up, man. Take it easy out there on the slopes, brother. Relax. Jeez. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go on. I'm going to stay on my snowboard for the rest of the there trip, but not on my face. So that's the plan. Awesome, so thanks, guys. Awesome. All right, we'll get you some makeup for your uh, next appearance here on the show. All right, uh, coming up, Liverpool against Fulham. It's the Carabao Cup semifinals, the first leg from Anfield on Wednesday. Will Anthony Robinson, Tim Ream, and Raul Jimenez be able to pull the upset? Coverage starts at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time here on ESPN+. All right, Herc, let's run it back. Slide on over to Serie A, where Christian Pulisic had an assist in AC Milan's 3-0 win against Empoli on Sunday. Me, Here me. he is running the two-on-one break. I mean, this is just pure speed, awareness. He's just living such a great moment. I read this stat, which blows my mind. It really shouldn't because he's been as good as advertised. A great finish, by the way. Yes, it was. But Christian Pulisic in goal involvements is top five in Serie A. Quite a season for the young American. Six goals, five assists in 17. City appearances for Pulisic. In the FA Cup, Daryl DK scoring after a nine-month injury layoff. Herc, what a moment. What a moment. The plan was for him to get 45 minutes under his belt in this FA Cup game. Gets a goal. It's his first goal since March 15th, 2023. What a moment. Here's DK. Very happy post-game. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel great. It's uh, been a long time coming. I've, I feel like I've just, you know, been waiting for this moment, been reliving that kind of uh, moment every single day, thinking about it. And so when it finally happened, I was just, you know, you're overwhelmed and celebration <laughs> kind of showed, yeah. Was it the perfect way to return? Yeah, it's a good way to return. Obviously, um, you know, being a striker, you always want to score. But, of course, being able to get the win to, to score in as well is, uh, you know, you couldn't really ask, can't ask for more. Can you just tell us how much blood, sweat, tears, pain, hard work has gone into that moment over the last eight months to get to here today? Yeah, it's 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 been a lot. You know, there's especially with a big injury like that, you uh you have moments where you know doubts kind of enter your head, where things are difficult. But you know, when you have um when you have good teammates, when you have a, a mindset, good family, everybody around you pushing and supporting you, uh, it kind of lifts you back up. And when you get moments like that at the end, it um it makes it all worthwhile. All right, for more on the FA Cup and really all of European football, make sure to check out ESPN FC, available seven days a week here on ESPN. Plus, the crew is live at 6 p.m. Eastern time, Monday through Friday, and then 5 p.m. Eastern on weekends. Major League Soccer. Let's talk LAFC, where it sounds like Denis Bawanga wants out. The 29-year-old Gapon International, who scored 38 goals across all competitions in 2023, is looking to go back to Europe. The striker telling a French outlet that, quote, my objective is clear. I want to come back to France or another European club. End quote. Boanga is under contract with LAFC through the 2025 season. Herc, what do you think? Can LAFC afford to lose Benny Boanga? Drama! Um, let's call it what it is, Seb. This is a message, and that message by Denny Boanga and his camp is very mm-hmm. clear to John Thornton LAFC. Pay me. Pay me, pay me, pay me. He's not going anywhere. He's under contract. There is no I leave. He's under contract. But there is a, can I get paid? 
Your man scored 38 goals last year. Your man was running things in Major League Soccer, in Leagues Cup, in Champions League. Whatever the case may be, the game I played, I scored in. Mm -hmm. Pay me. I see what other players in the league are making. Pay me. Here's the thing, Denny. John Thornton doesn't strike me as the type of individual or the type of front office official in this league that's going to be strong-armed, and especially not publicly. You need to be very careful with what you do here. Does Denny Bawanga deserve to get paid more than what he's making? Absolutely, but there are ways to go about it. Now, you just asked me, can they afford to lose Denny Bawanga? LAFC won an MLS Cup, am I correct? Yes. They did. Was Denny Bawanga one of the more important players in the lead up or in the winning of that MLS Cup? No. In fact, he struggled and struggled mightily in the lead up uh, in regular season trying to score goals. Mm -hmm. I believe Portland away last game of the season was when he scored his first goal. And if you think about the players who had more to do with lifting that trophy that season, Ilie Sanchez, Carlos mm -hmm. Vela, Kellen Acosta, uh, Gareth Bell, who was very important in keeping that team alive in the final, uh, Crepeau, and ultimately John McCarthy, yeah. you know, with That's the PKs. two years ago, Herc, and none of those dudes well, dropped so 38 in a calendar let year. Let me finish. Let me finish. Let me finish. Let me finish. What he's trying to say is, pay me. Pay me. But by no means was he the guy that made you mm -hmm. lift a tournament, lift a trophy. He can be that guy for you right now. But LAFC has never had a problem with letting its star players go. Letting its stars' figures go, whether they be players, whether they be rookie of the years, I'm sorry, uh, defender of the years, whether it be coaches, whatever the case may be, they move on. John Thorrington mm -hmm. moves on. So be careful what you wish for, okay? Because right now things went very well for you at LAFC in Major League Soccer. And maybe, just maybe, you get paid. Or just maybe, just maybe you don't. And it's a miserable couple years until you leave. Yeah, and that's, that's the point, right, is, is what happens once you open Pandora's box. John Thorrington has come out and said, he's addressed this publicly, that it'll take a massive fee. So you're thinking probably, I don't know, what, 15, 20 million? What's it going to take to get LAFC to move on from this guy? And who in Europe, realistically, Herc, and there has been some links to Saudi Arabia, but who in Europe would have 15 to 20 million dollars in the winter transfer window when we know there's not all that much money floating around to spend on Denis Bawanga. My question to you is, do you have a problem with what he's saying, pay me more, and doing it in this public manner where he's saying, I want out? Like, he's not saying, I wouldn't mind going back to Los Angeles. He's saying my objective is clear, and basically I want to be anywhere in Europe, but not in Los Angeles. You have a problem with how far he's taken that messaging? I mean, listen, whatever you got to do, get paid, right? But the messaging, the way you go about it, there needs to be a certain form of tact. If I'm an LAFC fan, I, I'm upset. W what's going on here, Denny? We took you from the second division in France and brought you in and made you a marquee player when you now have this platform. And by the way, you are making more than you would have gotten paid in the second division in France. And here you are just saying, not, not that, hey, I want to go back to the table, I want to restructure my deal, but you're saying, I want to leave. I would have a problem with that if I was an LAFC fan, uh, but you got to do what you got to do to get paid. And if that's what Denny Bowanga and Denny Bowanga's camp thinks they have to do, more power to them. I wouldn't go about it that way. And you are dealing with fire. Um, in my time from seeing John Thorne, who's one of the smartest individuals, uh, at least in the front office that I've seen in Major League Soccer, I don't think he's ever been strong-armed, if you will. I don't think he's ever taken lightly to a player asking to leave it. And, and quite frankly, half the time, he doesn't even let it get there. You're out before it even happens.
Again, 38 goals in a calendar year, an awful lot to replace there, should Denny Bowanga uh, end up leaving LAFC. Let's talk about the MLS to Liga Mekis pipeline, Herc, because it seems to be uh, alive and well. Cade Cowell just got his Mexican passport last week, has been linked with a move to uh, Chivas from San Jose Earthquakes. Cowell was, of course, born and raised in California, but has Mexican roots on his mother's side. He's 20 years old with eight caps and one goal so far. The U.S. senior team. Herc, a U.S. player suiting up for Chivas. A few decades ago, would have been thought of as heresy. Now, is it something, nothing, or everything? Well, it, it depends on, on, on who, right? Is it something for U.S. soccer? Uh, everything for U.S. soccer to see a player, a young, promising American player, leave and go to Liga Mekis? No, because it's such a small sample size of the amount of players that could actually leave. You'd have to be Mexican-American. Uh, you'd have to be willing to go Liga Mekis, et cetera, et cetera. It reduces the sample size. Is it something for Cade Cowell? Absolutely, it's something for Cade Cowell because at least to Is it something heard, good? A lot of people would see this as a lateral move. A lot of people want to see well, Cade Cowell in Europe. Well, that's what, I'm, that's what I was about to get to now. We've heard reports about Bologna in the Serie A. Certainly that would be more beneficial to your development, to your opportunities of staying in that U.S. men's national pool if you're in a setup like Serie A, if you're in Europe. Now, this is an everything type of deal for Chivas. Let me just speak on Chivas for a second. I'll get back to Cade Cow. But if you're Chivas, it's everything. But essentially you're saying, yo, we're abandoning our academy. We're abandoning the Fuerzas Basicas because we'd rather go out with a player that U.S. soccer has developed, who's 20 years of age, who has very little connection to Mexican football, and per Kate Cowell, Mexican heritage, because he says he doesn't speak the language, nor does he have much of a connection there, then a player who was brought up in the academy system, a player that we spent money, years, some dec a decade more worth of grooming to try to get him there. You're abandoning that, so that's everything. Maybe a necessity. Maybe a necessity, and, and player Beto's getting sensitive, or player Beto, producer, producer Beto. Beto's getting sensitive <laughs> saying it's one player, but mm -hmm. why can't you find that one player in the academy? And I think that's what has a lot of people up in arms. Now, for Kate Cowell, do what you got to do. If, if you think this is the best moment for you, is to go get paid, because this is what it would be for Kate Cowell. It would be a payday, and maybe it's not in his hands because San Jose has to play part in this too. They want their payday as well. Then go do that. But by going and doing this, what you're telling Greg Berhalter and the ever-growing European player pool is, I am now on the outside looking in, instead of being in Europe and being directly in the thick of things. Yeah. For Chivas, I think it's great. It's a smart way to expand your player pool. We saw it with Santi Ormeño, you know, playing for another national team, but playing for Chivas uh, in Liga Amekis. They're going to have to do that if they want to remain competitive, because you see the gap between Chivas uh, and kind of the top teams in Liga Amekis from a talent standpoint seems to only be growing uh, as the years kind of go on and on. For Cade Cowell, man, um, I, I have a couple questions. One is the lateral move part of it, which you addressed. The other is, do you think he's a guaranteed starter, Chivas? Like, is that, is that a sure thing here? They got Piojo Alvarado. We're going to talk about Alexis Vega in a minute. Right now, he's uh, at least part of the roster. Like, I, I don't know that he's a for sure starter. And if I'm making a, a lateral move, man, I, I better be starting if I'm Cade Cowell. I think for how Fernando Gago wants to play and how dynamic he wants mm, that team, he okay. could be a very good player for them. Like, I, I, the, the, it's just a very different animal going from Major League Soccer uh, and becoming a full-fledged professional in, in a culture mm. that eats 
breathes and sleeps the game where the attention is very much on you and, and producer Beto and, and will we'll echo these, the sentiment playing for Chivas isn't an easy thing to do you're immediately under the microscope it's unlike anything that most have ever seen and I think it's going to be a, a massive culture shock one of the many culture shocks for Cade Cow. so that can go many ways listen the first time you get actually criticized and you see your name not only in the paper but in the A block on Football Picante and these other talk shows it, it's a daunting feeling it, it's it's nerve-wracking and it's it's not the greatest feeling in the world so things can go south very quickly no pun intended it sounds like you're suggesting there's uh, more pressure on a player at Chivas than at San Jose Earthquakes which is a a, a bold statement indeed uh, here on Football America speaking of players at Chivas who maybe the pressure got to let's talk about Alexis Vega who's been linked heavily with a move from Chivas to Cruz Azul uh, although now it looks like he won't be moving to the Mexican capital after all. Reportedly, Cruz Azul wanted to put some clauses uh, in Vega's contract, specifically about discipline. And that was one of the issues that brought the talks to a close. Vega, you'll remember, was suspended for five games last season by Chivas for off-field indisciplines. Herc, what do you think of Alexis Vega seemingly passing on Cruz Azul? Okay, seemingly passing. Those are the reports, right? But this doesn't make sense to me because I've signed many contracts in my life and they all had disciplinary clauses. They all had, we, we have disciplinary clauses here at ESPN. If we do something where ESPN deems that we put him in a bad light, we I can, would. Oh, I think we're assuming that this was more than the usual, right? Because of his, because of his past. There is no more than the usual. That's what I'm saying. The, the, the language is so, just, just so vague, Seb, that if mm -hmm. you put them in a bad light, they can dock you, you know, a month's pay and you can't do nothing about it. Or they can rip up the contract. It's the same thing at ESPN, same thing at any major corporation you work for. You represent bosses any ideas way. Relax. <laughs> <laughs> Easy with that. All right. But what I'm trying to say to you is there's more here than meets the eye. Was it just Alexis Vega or was Chivas asking for too much money or was Alexis Vega asking for too much money or was Cruz Azul not willing to just deal with the player who they thought may be damaged good? There's so much here. What I can tell you is it's a shame. Because you know I've been saying this for quite some time. Yeah, you wanted this move for him. I said this move it. three months ago. I said Cruz Azul, and it was bound to happen. It was about to happen. I'm here like, yes, excellent, because I could see Uriel Antuna, his compadre on one flank, and him on the other, and them running rampant on Liga MX defenses, and I could see him doing oh, well I thought you were going to say outside. on the nightlife in Mexico City. Easy, 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 because <laughs> there's nightlife everywhere. But like I said before with Kate Cowell, there are some places where it's magnified what you do. Let me tell you something very quickly about my time in Guadalajara. I had a great time in Guadalajara. I, I, I was one of the team's highest paid players when I was playing in Tecos, okay? And we were the third team in Guadalajara. The other two teams, Atlas, okay? Which at that moment, uh, a, lot of, a lot of history, big fan base, but certainly not popular like Chivas and Chivas. Chivas dominated the city. We played on a Friday night Tecos. I can go out Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night if I wanted to. Nobody would say a thing. A Chivas player was out seen having dinner and a beer in front of him. Headline news. That's the way it is out there. So it's very, very different. It's not for everybody. And Alexis Vega just could never be that player for them. Doesn't mean he can't be that player for somebody else. But certainly not at the two-plus million dollars net that he makes elsewhere. He's going to have to bring that down and bring it down big time. And things are going to have to change for Alexis Vega because he has a perception right now where it's a career that's about to be ruined. Herc, he wasn't in the squad for Gago's first game in charge of Chivas uh, last week, a friendly against a second division side. Do you think 
If you were in Gago's shoes, you would take a shot on Alexis Vega, knowing full well the limitations of your talent pool, right? Yeah, I don't even think it's in Gago's hands. I mean, per reports. But if you were Gago, would you want this player? If I was Gago, I'd want to see the player. If I was Gago, I want any player that could help me win. The problem is that Alexis Vega hasn't proven that he could help Chivas win in any capacity. When Chivas was at their best with Panovic, it was it was Victor Guzman who was doing well, and it was Alexis Vega who was out not playing with Chivas. He was injured. That's when they were at their best. And when he came back, ironically, is when the team kind of struggled a bit. So he's not proven that at any facet in his career with Chivas. With Chivas. And then you have the injuries. And then you have the disciplinary issues. I think this is a, 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 let's just have a clean break for everybody. And Amari Vergara, the owner, per reports, he's done with them. I'm hearing they're freezing them out this season. All this talk about Alexis Vega, uh, her got us thinking about some of the biggest disappointments in Mexican soccer history from a player standpoint. So this was my homework over the last couple days was to come up with my Top five list of the most disappointing players for L3. Let me start you off at the very top. Number five. Okay, now this is a little history lesson for those that don't follow the youth national teams. Julio Gomez. You might not know the name. You might know the nickname, La Momia. Okay, he was one of the heroes of the under-17 team that won the World Cup way back in 2011. Now, I don't want to pick on Julio Gomez, who I believe now is out of professional football entirely and playing in like a Sunday men's league somewhere. Texas. Uh, but it is the entirety uh, of that team which won the World Cup that has really failed to make an impact, certainly at the senior national team level. One of the other stars of this team, the captain of this team, Pollo Briseño, Herc, I know one of your guys, never even played for the senior national team, never got a meaningful senior national team cap. Uh, so that, to me, is one of the all-time biggest disappointments, that that team that won the World Cup never produced literally anything almost uh, at the senior national team level. Number four on my list of the biggest disappointments in Mexican soccer history is Alexis Vega. I'll keep this one short and sweet. For me, the disappointment here, because I've not always been that high on Alexis Vega as a player, on his talent, always thought he was a little bit overrated, is the fact that he's on this list seemingly because of a lack of discipline which has plagued Mexican soccer for years and which he has had seemingly opportunity after opportunity to rectify and hasn't been able to do it. And I think we're gonna see him go down a path which won't see him maximize the talent that he does have. For me, he's number four on this list. Number three, this one's for you, Herc. Rodolfo Pizarro, a player who Herc, on this platform and others, has said is the most talented Mexican player of his generation. A generation, I will remind you, that includes Chucky Lozano. Rodolfo Pizarro, That's failed move defense. to Rayados, failed move to Inter-Miami, finally gets a ticket to Europe, basically on the coattails of Orbelin Pineda with the coaches friendly to him, and is still sitting on the bench. Never played in a World Cup for Mexico. Big disappointment there for me at number three, Rodolfo Pizarro. At number two, this one hurts. Not happy about this one. And I don't know if maybe it's a little bit premature, but it's Diego Lainez, number two. When he left America for Europe, I thought we were on the verge of massive things. I thought this could be a transcendent player for Mexican soccer. I think the ceiling at this point, we have to say, has changed. I don't know that he's not ever going to have an impact on the senior national team, but I think we're looking more at a role, for those of you in the history books, uh, we'll remember the late 90s like a Jesus Arellano, okay? A guy who's coming off the bench, maybe making a difference in a World Cup, but this guy's not going to be the, the Ballon d'Or winner that I had hoped he might be. And number one on my list of the biggest disappointments to ever suit up for El Tri, we're going in a way back machine for this one, Neri 
Castillo. Now, some folks will remember him as kind of the, the first dual nat, at least for Mexico anyway, one of the first real dual nats that there was like a competition over. Could have played for uh, Uruguay, Greece, I think Italy maybe. Um, but he could also play for Mexico and he chose Mexico and he didn't choose it at an early point in his career. Chose it, chose it after like five or six years in Greece. He was one of the best players in Greece and just got a big move to Shakhtar Donetsk. And so he walked right into the Mexican national team. 2007 Gold Cup, he's a starter in the final. Moves right past Aguchi Onyehu with ease, setting up Andres Guardado. Yes, it was a lead that Mexico would blow. Uh, and then the 2007 Copa America scored three or four goals as Mexico got to the semifinals. And then from there, nothing. Within two years, disappeared from the national team, didn't play in the 2010 World Cup, never featured in the World Cup for Mexico. So there it is, my list of the five biggest disappointments in Mexican soccer history. Herc, what say you? Okay, and Neri Castillo, by the way, I can't believe he's number one. Uh, also had a, a, he scored two goals against Brazil in their like opening group. In that, game, Copa, in that Copa America, Copa America. Yep. yeah. He was yep. one of the best players at the Copa America. He gave me some moments, but I thought there was so much more, man. Dude, played for Manchester City. He's got a huge resume if you look at it. Yeah, let me just, Manchester City when they were, before they were Manchester City. Okay. Touché. Let, Touché. let me just pick apart your, your list really quick. Uh, Julio okay. Gomez, uh, he was a teammate of mine at Pachuca. I was there oh, when wow. he debuted. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Julio Gomez uh, had two good games at the U-17 World Cup. Iconic memory, splits his head in half, comes back and it's, you know, in a, in a headband and he has a bicycle kick to win the game. And, and I believe the final, and that was it. That was it. He never had a club career to begin with, so I'm very surprised he's on this list. You're going he's out two games in the U-17. He's symbolic to me of that team. Okay. Uh, of that team. Okay, yes. Espiricueta was on that team. So was yes. uh, Fierro. Briseño, so was Rich, Briseño, Richard Sanchez, dual national. He was a goalkeeper, best goalkeeper in that World Cup. I uh, understand. Can I, Rolfo Pizarro, fair. Uh, Diego Lain is very premature. Uh, Alexis Vega, wow, I can't believe he made this list for you. Now, let me give you some names that didn't show okay. up. Now, yeah. it's not El Tri, it's Mexican football. So here's some lists that you can go from the club career that didn't show up. Uh, El Guli Peña. How did you not have Guli Peña in here? Ooh, Carlos Peña here. That's a good that, one. Carlos Peña, such a promising career, and, and unfortunately, another teammate of mine at Pachuca uh, wasted away uh, due to substance Fought his abuse. demons off the field. Yes. Well documented. Yes. Yeah. Well documented. Enrique Esqueda. Let me tell you about Enrique Esqueda. Ooh. For those of you who don't know, go back to the 2005 U17 World Cup in Peru, the original U17 World Cup mm -hmm. that they won. Giovanni dos Santos, Carlos Vela. Do you know who the forward of that U17 national team was? It was Enrique Esqueda. It wasn't Javier Hernandez. Chicharito was left home. He didn't go to that World Cup because Enrique Esqueda. Enrique Esqueda, last I heard, is playing in India. Uh, that's one of those careers that never took off. And then here's two names for you that I can't believe you did not put in there because oh. uh, maybe they had their moments with uh, the Mexican national team or somewhat in their club career, but unfulfilled potential, and that should be a disappointment to you. Uh, the first one is Giovanni Dos Santos. Mm -hmm. Giovanni mm -hmm. Dos Santos was at Barcelona, and then he goes to Tottenham Hotspurs. And in his debut, or I shouldn't say debut, in his presentation with Spurs, you know who's next to him that did do well? Luka Modric. Luka Modric. When you think about Giovanni and the talent that Giovanni had and how that was squandered. Now, I'm saying the club level because the national team level, he's, uh -huh. he's one of the top players or winners, I should say, in Mexican national team uh, history. And that's not my opinion. That's just simple math. Count the trophies and the accolades there. And the last one, who you always rip. You rip nonstop. And I can't. I, and you know what? I don't think he should be on the list, but I'm surprised you... Cowardly left them off this list. Mm -hmm. I cannot believe you did it. You left them off this list, and you always rip them. You rip them, I don't rip them. But it's mm -hmm. Carlos Vela. How did you leave Carlos Vela off this list? Right. So Gio Dos Santos and Carlos Vela, to me, were the, were the elephants in the room. Here's why I left them off. To me, are they disappointments? Yes, certainly. When you talk about a guy that starts his career at Barcelona, 
and another guy that starts his career at Arsenal, you had huge, massive expectations for them, especially with the national team after what they did in the Under-17 World Cup. But the bottom line is I cannot forget what they've done. Carlos Vela in 2013-2014 hit one of the all-time highs for Mexican soccer at club level. Giovanni Dos Santos Herc, has given me multiple incredible moments as an L3 fan. The, the Gold Cup final chip? Woo! I mean, I, I could live off. I'm still living off that with my U.S. men's national team friends. And, and the goal against Netherlands. That's a knockout round goal um, in a World Cup. Did, is there some letdown to what those players could have been? Absolutely, man. But the guys on this list, to me, are just massive So you went flops. for the kids. You went for those niños héroes instead of the, the grown men is what you're telling I went, me. I went for the flops, bro. <laughs> I went for the flops. All right, all right. <laughs> okay, uh, speaking of Mexican soccer, don't look now. Uh, it's back. That's right. The uh, Liga MX Clausura starts uh, on Friday with, I think, uh, two or three games uh, on Friday night. So before the season begins, always good to get our predictions on the record. Uh, Herc, who you got winning it all? All right, uh, it's Tigres, and I think we're splitting surprise, hairs. Surprise, well, surprise. It's, it's plus 400. I'll take Tigres as a good bet. And now, wow. Now, listen to what I'm going to say real quick, okay? Mm -hmm. There are really only two horses in this race. Okay. It's Tigres and America, and when you're splitting hairs when you go about these two great teams. Um, and, and Tigres just got stronger. They, they just signed last season's tournament MVP, the best player in the league, and Juan Brunetta. They're going to be a, a better roster, if you will. That 11 remains to be seen. Uh, they still have very promising young Mexican superstars and a proven base of players like Nahuel uh, Guzman, like Andre Piergian, Carioca, Guido Pizarro, Javier Aquino, surrounded by very attacking wide players. I like what I see from them. But man, Liga MX, a, t a league that was built off parity, the playoff system, so we have parity has really turned into a league of the haves and have-nots. And you can see it when you talk about promising teams of who actually has a chance to win it. You really only bring up three teams. Or the three yeah. most immediate teams are America, Tigres, Monterrey. And why? Because of the money. This league is now being defined because of the money. The teams up north... Tigres and Monterrey, they have it. America has it. And we're seeing the rest trying to catch up. We're seeing the rest fighting for fourth, fifth, sixth, and so on. It really has become a league of the haves and have-nots. I mean, if you're saying it's only a two or maybe max, like a three-horse race, then plus 400 sounds like a really good value for Tigres. Now, you say uh, it's splitting hairs between Tigres and America. The odds makers don't see it so much because Tigres is paying out at plus 400. I'm taking Club America here. They're only paying out at plus 225, Shocker. right? So uh, a big difference there. Yeah, maybe not, not the biggest surprise here. Look, here's what I think about Club America. They were dominant last season. And I don't know, Herc, that we ever really saw the best of Club America. I don't know that we ever saw them hit their full potential in terms of how they played. And I don't know that we ever really saw them as a fully fit squad, right? With everybody healthy and operating uh, and firing on full cylinders. I think there's actually quite a bit of room for improvement despite how good the season was. Uh, I think the defense can get a lot better. I think Jardinet will get even more out of this team as he gets more and more comfortable with them. And same with a guy like Julian Quinones, who I think will only grow into his role with Club America. I don't like that payout at plus 225. I might have liked it to be a little bit more like your plus 400 with Tigres. Uh, but I'm taking Club America. To your earlier point about the haves and have-nots, America plus 225, Tigres plus 400, Rayados plus 650, right? After that, the next closest team 
is like plus a thousand down. I think it's actually Chivas at plus 1100. For those that don't know gambling, that just means you're a, a massive long shot. Is there anybody from kind of the, the, the other, the, the, the field that you could see stealing a title this year? Chivas is plus 1100. You always like Toluca. They're plus 1500. Some value there. Well, there's, there's still time for moves. And, and listen, yep. one of the reasons I don't like America so much is because America's starters won't be available week one. They're just coming back like from vacation huh. this week. So it's going to take... When America's great in week one, he says week one doesn't matter. No, no, no. Listen, right. you're, they're no preseason. They're going to mm -hmm. get their base later. And and we're already right. hearing the excuses from Santiago Baños, the, the president. Well, like, be patient with us because the, the Bicampeonato maybe won't come this way. We've got lots of tournaments where we're going to be spread thin, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, what I will say about who I like, um, I like a team like Pumas, who just signed Ooh. Rogelio Funes Mori, uh, who's the all-time leading goal scorer, 160 goals for Rayados. And they also have uh, Memote Martinez. And, and if you don't know about Memote, he was the Puebla forward uh, who, who just went over to Pumas, who was the second leading goal scorer in the league, both big-framed forwards with Chino Huerta flanked on one side, uh, Tabo maybe on the other, a team that's played together and has some very good moments, and a keeper that I think is on the up in Julio Gomez, uh, Gonzalez. Excuse me. I, I think that's a team to watch out for. Mm, interesting. I'm seeing Pumas here at uh, around plus 1,800. So there's your uh, long shot title winner for the Liga Mekis Clausura from Hercules Gomez. All right, let's finish up here with some transfer talk, shall we? Jonathan David, the Canadian international, long linked with a move away from Lille in France. Well, according to football transfers, uh, David, who's 23 years old, is being pursued by both Manchester United and Aston Villa out of the Premier League. Herc, which English club would be better <laughs> for Jonathan David? Let me just say, it does not surprise me that Jonathan David is being linked to these two teams. He's been linked to the Arsenals of the world, the Atleticos of the world, the, the big teams of the world for quite some time. Spurs, if you will. So You say that. His form isn't what it was a year ago. It does surprise me a little bit. Does that have a little to do with Lille? Uh, that could have a little to do with Lille, right? This is a good player. So uh, what team is better for him? Jonathan David, stay away from Manchester United. <laughs> stay away from the toxicity yes. uh, that is Manchester United. That is Eric Ten Hag. That is the Glazers at the moment. And go as far away as possible as you can. Now, Aston Villa, wow. Now, now you have, I mean, you had my curiosity, but now you have my full attention. Uh, let me throw out some names for you, okay? Leon Bailey. Leon Bailey is a great case of what Unai Emery and Aston Villa have been able to do for the player. Mm. Under his previous two coaches at Aston Villa, you could say a fracaso. Wasn't doing well. Wasn't the 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 hype, the promise that you saw at Leverkusen. Mm -hmm. They paid big seeing, money for him. And they paid big money for him. Well, now with Unai Emery, we're seeing a player blossom under Unai Emery, blossom under Aston Villa. Ali Watson, this player, look at the nine that he is. He's one of the most complete nines in the English Premier League. Now we are hearing big transfer moves, possibility of Arsenal in his future. And what does Unai Emery ask of his nine? Yeah, you have to have the ability to stretch the back line. But when you don't stretch it, come underneath and act as a 10, act as a playmaker, be good with the ball, facilitate. That is Jonathan David. Jonathan David in this system can flourish. Jonathan David, with the direction of a Unai Emery, can be a prime player for that team, a big player eventually in the Premier League. I absolutely love this move for Jonathan mm. David if it were to transpire. Be honest with me, Herc. All right. 
You're what, a player. When have I not been honest with you? <laughs> You've been pretty honest, I would say, over the okay. course of the history of this show. Manchester United, despite the fact that they're a dumpster it's fire, a, a disaster, no, whatever you want it's to call difficult. it, comes across your desk. You're really saying no? It takes three to tango in, in, in football. It, it takes uh, the club to sell you, it takes you to accept it, and it takes mm -hmm. somebody to want you to, to buy you. It takes three. So it's got to be the perfect storm. And it's very difficult to say no to a team like Manchester United. But if all three of these scenarios were controlled, I would pick Aston Villa for Jonathan David. I, I'm a Manchester United fan at heart. That's one of the first teams I've ever supported. You know, there's a once a week in the States, we'd get one channel in the Premier League, and it was in the late 1900s, you know, early 2000s. <laughs> You're so old! Yeah, yeah. And it was Manchester United. It was that treble team. It was that famous class. It, it was Sir Alex Ferguson. It was an unbelievable experience, and it was the brand right. of Manchester United. That Jonathan brand, David's much younger than you, buddy. That that brand is cheapened. <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and that, that ambiance, that atmosphere is toxic. I would really double think. I would I would think twice about going up to a place like uh, Manchester United over Aston Villa. All right, one more thing uh, on this edition of Football Americas. Actually, Herc, let's uh, keep it Canadian, shall we? And keep it on the theme of Canadian strikers. Kyle Lahren got a goal in the Copa del Rey, round of 32 on Sunday as Mallorca beat Burgos. Final score, 3-0. Yeah, Kyle Lahren needed this. is only a second you know, goal of a... <laughs> The Copa del Rey, he's been struggling. I had high hopes for him in Mallorca. Javier Aguirre really did as well. I mean, he killed it, you know, last year when he came to, to Spanish football. He was held as the best winner signing, not only of the year, but of its history. You know, you talk to our, our colleague Alex Pareja, he will tell you that, and he's not lived up to it this season. Hopefully, this goal can give him that confidence. Kyle Lahren. El Vasco Aguirre and company moving on to the round of 16 in the Copa del Rey. The Spanish Super Cup is this week on ESPN Plus Wednesday. Uh, Real Madrid against Atletico Madrid. Coverage starts at 1.55 p.m. Eastern Time. That's here on ESPN Plus. Also on ESPN 2 on Thursday. It's the uh, other semifinal there. Barcelona against Osasuna. And that'll do it for this edition of Football Americas. Herc, before we get out of here, what you wearing over there? So this is a Seattle Sounders tee that I'm wearing in honor of my friend and former teammate, Ozzy Alonso. Ozzy retired today. What an unbelievably legendary career, especially for how this man did it, where he came from. And in my time, one of, if not the best sixes I have ever played with. Prime Ozzy could play anywhere in the world. Congrats, a legend. Ozzie. Absolutely. Uh, Well-deserved. Happy trails to uh, Ozzy Alonso, who started his uh, U.S. career with the Charleston Battery, right. of course, uh, right. in USL. What a great story that is. All right, we will be back on Thursday for a very special edition of Football Americas. Herc and I will be together on South Beach. That's right, we're heading to Miami for Major League Soccer Media Day. Let's go, baby. Football Americas live Bring your from white Miami. Jackets, Thursday night. Oh, you bet. It's already in the suitcase, brother. <laughs>